You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Man, what a powerful worship service this morning. Uh, welcome. My name is Scott. Uh, my wife and I, Tara, we joined uh, last year. And uh, Mac will not let you sit on the sidelines long. And so he, uh, he invited us to be a part of something, and he never leaves us in our comfort zone. This never. is my son, Hunter, and uh, I have been preaching since I was a teenager, and I have not once had to share a pulpit uh, for a message, and, but I couldn't imagine anyone else that I would rather share it with than, than you, my son. Um, I just I think it's going to be an incredible morning. We had a great first service, and I just thank you for allowing us to be here with you this morning. Uh, you give honor where honor is due, and I just want to thank Pastor Mac for his confidence in us. And I'll, I'll say this, just how he's led uh, this fellowship since the pandemic. Uh, it's been tough. For the last two and a half years, uh, Barna uh, came out with a research and said six out of ten pastors had considered quitting uh, during the pandemic. I said the other four were just lying, okay? So it, it has been tough and for him to lead well. He and the rest of the staff here at Valleydale, thank you so much. I hope we're praying for our staff uh, as they are leading us. And then also, happy Father's Day. Forgot to say that. Happy yeah. Father's Day to those who are in the room. Uh, it is going to be your day, so you get to barbecue, you get to watch golf, you get to do whatever you want to do, so take the day and enjoy it. Uh, and you're the first Father Day you get to experience. Right. So uh, Shannon, your bride down here uh, is now, ex- you're expecting this yeah. October. Yeah. Your your uh, parenting book will be out next spring, so that's, that's going right. to be great. So All just, 23 steps. just kidding. Uh, but uh, just happy Father's Day. And I will say as we get into this, there is no magic formula. Uh, I, I just, I don't want you to think we've got it all together. Uh, we, we, we pray for our children. We, we, we try to set the right path for them. But in over 30 years of ministry, I've seen great parents that have children that make some very unwise choices. And I've, I've seen some children that rise up in a situation where I go, man, that is not optimal, and they come out stellar. So I, I've seen good parents have some, some bad kids. I've seen bad parents produce uh, good kids. It is just one of those things where we want to give you our faults. Uh, when Hunter came into our life, uh, it's a, I will say it's a difference between theory and reality. I've been preaching since I was a teenager. I had a sermon entitled, 10 Surefire Ways to Raise Godly Kids. After we had our children, I've renamed it Three Suggestions That May or May Not Work. So uh, I just want you to understand that there is difference between theory and reality. But every dad, you need to remember three things. Number one, when, you're, when, you're, when your child is born. I'll never forget that. Uh, the day they receive Christ. I still remember those times when our children came to know Christ. And, and I think third is the, is the last where you just don't want to forget it is when their faith becomes their own. When, when they know Jesus not only as Savior, but when they know him as Lord. And I, on that day for you in my life came when you, you played baseball since you were four and you had a situation with your knees and you were only in eighth grade. And I remember the doctor coming in saying that your days of playing baseball were over. And as an eighth grader, I remember him looking at the doctor and just saying, we'll see what God thinks about that. Just was one of those moments where as a dad, I treasure in my heart that he's no longer just serving God because of what he sees in my life. 
He's serving God because of what he sees in his life. And so with that, I'm going to let you have the iPhone 13 before the original comes up and kind of closes us down, okay? So would you welcome Hunter Dawson? But if you steal my jokes, I will get you, you back. Got right. You got it. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> oh, man. Now, it is a big deal for him to be sharing the spotlight this morning. Normally, when he's up on stage, he's running for all 30 minutes. And, Mac, we love you, buddy. But at the same time, you got two guys up here that could speak a wall upside down for three hours each way and, and just think nothing of it. So we're going to do our best to squeeze it in the time we got this morning, all that uh, we've been trying to think through. And as we were thinking through what we were going to talk about this morning, Father's Day, Father's Son, I mean, we've never shared a pulpit before. What are we going to do? Uh, it was kind of cool. God gave us kind of the same message just with different angles, and that's that we all have to own our faith personally. Uh, you know, as a, as a son, I can say that, you know, my dad cannot own my faith for me. I have to own it personally. Now, I can use the foundation of knowledge that he's built for me. I can, I can do that. But as far as to get a house of, of faith, a house of salvation, I have to reach out to the Lord myself. Um, the best illustration I can give is yesterday, I was doing some yard work. Uh, my wife can attest. Uh, I, I hate yard work. I hate it. Hey, it is hey, awful. Hey. It is awful. And I, I was cutting the grass. My edger is already broken. We've only been in this house for a year. I bought it brand new. My mower was messing up yesterday. I've bought all this fertilizer, all this stuff, try to fix this awful yard filled with weeds. It still has all the weeds in it. I've spent hours, hundreds of dollars. It's finally worth it. I'm going to get a yard guy. I'm going to do it. <laughs> I have no foundation of knowledge there. I had nowhere to go, what to do. And I'm finally just saying, you know what? You were right all along. I, I need to get a yard guy. I, I had no foundation. But how are we going to move what foundation we have in faith into building our own structure? And so today, I have three um, key concepts that if, if you're talking to the next generation or you yourself have to personally comprehend in order to really make your faith your own, really make your faith your own. You have to own it personally. And the first one is this, is that is God normally shows up when his people expect him to. God will show up when his people expect them to. I'll take it to Sunday mornings. I, I, I know lots of people from growing up. Uh, I was one of them and, and, and others that would go to church every Sunday. We were in some form or fashion every Sunday growing up. We were in church every Wednesday night, every whatever it was. We, we, had, we had a lot of other ministry events going on. I, I was at them. My, my parents were there, so I was there. And that's great. We can show up all the time. But if we're not expecting the Lord to meet us there in that place... It's just another act. It's just another normalcy. It's just a normal thing that we do that has no meaning to it. Uh, I love the verse in Jeremiah 29, 13. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. We have to be expectant. We have to expect God to show up when we ask him to. We have to expect our God to be there. If we lose sight, both ministry, both corporate and personal, if we lose sight of having a God there that's there for us at all times, if not, you will lose the need for a Savior. You'll start taking your hand and grasping it all and not releasing it to the Lord. You'll then think you can fix all your problems. You can then think you can solve all your miseries. You, you can keep pushing forward. If you don't expect God to show up, he'll continue to let you down. You'll convince yourself that you are not focused on what, on, on, you are not going to be able to do it yourself. You're just not going to be able to. It makes me think of Elijah on Mount Carmel um, in 1 Kings chapter 18. If you want to go there, great. If not, we'll probably have it on the screen. Elijah was expecting. Now, 
I'm going to set the scene for you real quick. Elijah is there on Mount Carmel. He knows God has called him there, and he's expectant God will show up. He knows he can't do it himself. God has put him there in this place, so much so that he has a little confidence about him. In verse 19 of chapter 18, he says, Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Shear, and all who are supported by Jezebel. He says, Hey, y'all come show up. I'm going to show you what my God is going to do. He's expectant of what God is going to do. So in the verses to follow, for the sake of time, we're not going to read all of the 20-something verses that we have part of this story, but the, the prophets are then trying to pray to their gods, begging their God to come show up, begging their God to come, hey, meet us in this place, and he's not doing it. They're not doing it. So Elijah says, all right, it's my turn, buddy. Go to verse 36. At the, at the usual time for offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed. Now, I just think that is like somebody batting in the four hole, bases loaded, you know, baseball. They got their walk up music. He's like, hey, I'm confident. I know what's about to happen. I'm expecting my God to be there. And sure enough, he prays out to God, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And you go to verse 38. I love the first word, immediately. Immediately. You go into the book of Mark, all throughout it, it's, it's, it's just so many different, net, uh, what's, the, what's the term for this? It's an English term. Adjective? It's not an adjective. It's an action word. Immediately. Uh, suddenly. God showed up. He answered the prayer as soon as it was asked, because when we seek God, he will come to us. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and he even licked up the water in the trench. God God's just will display his power for his own glory. He's not going to do it for your glory, but when you ask him, he will come to you. Number two, the second concept that if you're trying to get someone of this next generation or yourself to truly make Make it their own. Make their, make their faith their own. They have, have, have to know this. I am strongest when my prayer life is strongest. And I put the personal, a personal pronoun there because I, you know, personally, I know this to be true. But when you're reading this or you're going back and you're reflecting on it, you have to know this too. It is you. You're strongest when your prayer life is the strongest. I was, uh, we're in the middle of a, um, an event in San Antonio um, we're planning out. Uh, it's just been amazing what God is doing. We're holding on to the reins and just seeing where he's taking us at this point. We have over 100 churches now working together in San Antonio. It's an amazing sight to see. Um, they're all in it for the same reasons, going out to for, for, proclaim the gospel to that city. And um, I, I, we've been burdened as a team. How do we steward these relationships we're building. Because it's not, it's not often churches work together like this, especially for their own communities. No, that, that, you know, one church isn't getting a shout out, nothing like this. They're truly working together, going after it. And so I met with the pastor specifically to ask him this question. Hey, what are we going to do with this? What are you going to do following? Well, what can we do to help steward these relationships? And we were throwing out ideas all off the wall. I had no idea what was coming out. They were terrible. Terrible ideas, like we could do these gatherings, that gatherings. No one's going to go to those. And finally, he looked at me and he said, hey, Hunter, I just, this is just hitting me now, but I think we need to talk about it. What do we do when we don't know what to do? We seek the Lord. We ask. We pray. We pray to the Lord. He will answer our prayers. It makes me think of my wife who taught third grade 
for uh, three years. Uh, man, bless her. All you teachers out there, thank you. Thank you very much. Because uh, when she would come home, 30 minutes after she got home, I mean, for the first 30 minutes, I was not allowed to ask her a question. I, I just, she said, you cannot ask me anything. You can't ask me about my day. You can't ask me about what I did, what I ate for lunch. I will not answer you. I have been asked all day, who, what, when, where, why, what's going on? What do I do this? Is this right? So-and-so is doing this. Are they in trouble? Why, why, why? I mean, it just burned her with questions, burned her with questions. What do we do when we don't know what to do? We ask. And kids, man, they're a great example of that. They will ask questions, and uh, it's my first Father's Day. I know I'm just stepping into it. I know, I know. But man, that's a lot of questions. That's a lot of questions. But thankfully, our God is not like that. He will not just say, hey, stop asking me questions. He says, hey, come bring it to me. Lay it at my feet, and I'll answer you. It may not be the answer we're looking for. It may not be. But man, so thankful for a God that does answer us. Look in Philippians uh, chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and, prep and uh, petition, with thanksgiving, present your quest to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That peace that you, I can't describe you that peace. I, I can't give you in words an accurate description of God's peace. That's something that you have to experience for yourself. And if you haven't experienced that today, today may be that day to go search for it. Today may be that day to go after it. Psalm 145, 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And then James 1, 6. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Remember, we got to be expectant of what the Lord's going to do. I'll say that again. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. You must ask the Lord and be confident in his presence through it. And I'm going to challenge you in this. When you're praying to the Lord, seeking the Lord in your prayer life, you're really trying to be good about getting in contact with the Lord, don't just pray about outcomes. Pray for his presence. Don't just pray about outcomes. Pray for his presence. The Lord will come find you. I guarantee if you start praying for his presence in the midst of the situation, whatever the outcome may be, you will find peace in the midst of it. I guarantee you. It reminds me of Exodus 33. This is my, I, right now it's my favorite passage of scripture. Go to Exodus 33. I'm going to turn there. You can if you want to. Uh, if not, I'll read it to you. But it's Exodus 33 verses 15 through 17. The golden calf had just happened. Okay, the, the, the Israelites had just built the golden calf and were worshiping this golden calf, this man-made God, thinking it could do so, all sorts of things. But obviously it couldn't. And at this point, they're wandering in the wilderness and God saying, you know what? You're just turning from me left and right. Y'all just wonder, and I'll come back to you later. It's essentially, he, he's so frustrated. But Moses knows that they need God's presence in the wilderness. No matter what they're doing and where they are, he, they need God's presence. And this is Moses becoming desperate to the Lord for his presence in their lives. He said, the, the, then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. Don't send me out there if you're not going. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me on me and your people, if you don't go with us. For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on earth. He said, Lord, I need you more than anything. Your presence is what, what people recognize something different about me when I have you living in my life. So don't leave me. I, would, I need you with me. And sure enough, what we said earlier, you, you seek the Lord, he will find you. I love how the Lord answers Moses, same way he answers us now. In verse 17, the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you've asked for. I, hey, I'll be with you. And he follows it up with making it personal. I look favorably on you 
and I know you by name. We seek the Lord, he'll find us, and he knows you by name. He knows who you are. All the, all the good, all the bad, it doesn't matter. He knows you by name. And lastly, the third concept that, that you have to grasp in order to build your own faith is number three, I have to own it. You have to own it. We have to own it. I have to own it. Everywhere that I feel like I've been in the past six months has talked about this Barna study that came out about um, students when they go off to college, that 75% don't come back to the church. It's only 25% to stay at the church. And I don't have a solution. I don't. I'm not here to speak on solution. But I do, have, I do feel like I can po- poise the question of, hey, did they own their own faith? Or was it something we just thought they had? Like, did they own it? Did we train them to own it? Did we train them to own their faith as they walked out and faced the world that they were walking out to? We've seen it. It's ugly. It's, it, it does not approve of the Christian lifestyle. All right? The world does not approve of, of what we live for, of what God's word stands for. But if they walk out, do they own what they believe? I don't know the answer to it. But I know that if you own it, all of a sudden there's a filter you own your salvation because guess what? We know when we own our salvation, it's nothing we did. It's nothing I did. It's nothing you did. It's something that God did for us that only I could, I could accept for myself and only you can accept for yourself. We have a great church here at Valleydale. We have Carson, great youth pastor. He'd save every one of your kids if he could. Uh, the children's nursery down there, the children's uh, program is amazing. One of the best in the city. And they teach our students, our kids, about the, the Bible, the scripture, about God. But they can't save them. Mac, he would save us three, three ways upside down Sunday to Sunday every single week if he could. He loves seeing people to come to know the Lord, but he can't do it for you. We have to own it. And dads, leaders of your household, you, we can, you can tr- train, you can talk about it all you want. But as a kid, I can tell you, sometimes it'll just go right through the ears. We won't always hear it. We won't always listen to it. We won't always want to listen to you when you're telling us what to do. But if you show us, if you live a life worthy of the name of the gospel, and you continue to live out that example, at the minimum, they'll know something's different about you. At the minimum, they'll recognize that there's something greater than you that lives inside of you. They may ask questions. They may follow in line. But I guarantee if you live it out, live that example you will, you will get responses. And with that, I'm bowing out of the conversation. My son's not born yet. I got 23 and a half weeks experience of an unborn parent, okay? So uh, that's all I got. But that being said, I do have my dad here with me who set a great example for me. And so with that, I'm going to hand it over to you to finish it off. I will do that. Thank you, sir. You just don't know how to prepare when your son um, gets up here, and and I'm 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 still in that situation of going. We got so many different scenarios playing out inside this room that I, I do believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit that He has been preparing people for a moment like this. And so, uh, how do we how do we bridge the new generation from those of us that are been around for a little bit later? 
Uh, I always say there's three types of Christians. There's the first one that I call the remember when Christian. Everything was better 20, 30 years ago. They always remember when. And then there's the remember me Christian. That's the, that's the overwhelming majority. We all want to be fat and happy, and uh, it's all about us. But very few, there are some remember why Christians. And the remember why Christians is to remember that there's a generation coming behind us. And that we've got to plow that land. We've got, to, we've got to continue to press forward in our faith because of those that are coming behind us. It's not about us. It's not about our security. It's not about our comfort. It's about those that are coming behind us. And so I go back to what Kirkwood was, uh, the scripture he was quoting and reading for us as, uh, before we got up here of Joshua chapter 24. And that's only going to be the place that I kind of I land the plane, if you will. So if you have your Bible, Joshua 24, if you guys want to bring that back up on the screen, I, I want to kind of give you the, the context of what's going on because Joshua is about to go into eternity. It is um, in Joshua chapter 1, when we meet Joshua, Moses' aide, he's 60 years of age and he's rising into leadership. Moses has now gone away, and um, now Joshua's time, and he hears the message of be strong, be strong in the Lord, and that is the message that we see throughout the entire book of the, of the conquest after conquest, now coming into the promised land, and in Joshua 23, he starts his farewell tour. It's kind of like those 80s bands that have been out there for 12 years where their farewell tour. In, in Joshua 23, he's starting his farewell tour, but in 24, he knows it's the end. He's 110 years of age, and he brings all of Israel to Shechem. Shechem is the place where Abraham received the promise. It is one of those special places of the Old Testament. And here's where Joshua gives his final farewell speech. You got to understand, when you get a little bit older, Hunter, you realize time is, is confined. And you stop mixing words. And you start going right for the heart. And so in Joshua 24, he starts out, the first thing I would share with you is he starts with a recollection of God's faithfulness. If you started in verse 1, you'd see Joshua starting to reveal to the people of Israel a, a remembrance of what God had done for them. All the way back to where God started with the promise, then through Moses, then through the conquest, what Joshua is telling the people is don't forget what God has done for us. And that's where I would say to the fathers inside this room, remember is a powerful word. We must remember what God has done for us in the past. Because if you remember what God has done in the past, I think that gives us an expectation of what he will do in the future. Hunter was talking about having an expectancy I think that's part of what Joshua is telling as he's about to leave. He's going, don't forget what God has done for us already. And if he's already done this for us, there's no telling what he's going to do for us in the future. You see, memory is not a passive word. It is an active word. If you go back to the book of Deuteronomy at the Shema, when, when, when it says, hear, O Israel, hear that your, our Lord, our God is one. You will teach your children over and over again. Why? Because in verse 12 of Deuteronomy 6, it says, lest we forget. Don't forget what God has done in your life. 
And, and by the way, it's not just an Old Testament. In the New Testament, Paul, in the book of Ephesians, you don't have to turn there. Let me just tell you what Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 11. He says, therefore, remember. And now he's talking about that you were once Gentiles in the flesh. You were apart from God. But then in verse 13, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, who, were, who, who you were once far off, you have now been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. So the Old Testament, the New Testament, all combine with this word, remember. My challenge for the fathers inside this room is for you to gather your family, grandfathers to gather your family and share with them the journey of your faith. I think it's one of the greatest gifts you can give your family. It's not another trinket. It's not another trip, but a journey of God's faithfulness inside your life. Never forget your own salvation. I mean, I want you to understand, because Jesus has changed my life, I know he can change Hunter's life. And because he's changed Hunter's life, I know he can change Jet's life. And you know how I can say it? It's because I've seen the change that Jesus has made in my parents' life. It is that generational, let's continue to tell the story. You may be in here this morning, and you're going, I don't have that generational faith. I don't even have my own faith. I'm going to share with you the gospel in two minutes, because you know, I'm an evangelist, okay? So here, here we go. We live in news. Everybody has news. I'm going to give you bad news. I, we got to start out with the bad news. The bad news is we're all sinners. Every one of us is sin. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you don't believe me, I'm going to ask you a question. If you've ever told a lie, in your entire life, maybe not today, it's a holiday, okay? But if you've ever told a lie in your entire life, would you just raise your hand right now? Just raise your hand. Keep it up, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. I want you to look around the room right now. Do you see all the hands of the liars that came to church this morning? Did y'all see that? By the way, the few of you who did not raise your hand, liar. I mean, doesn't that seem weird? Now, why do I do that? Because some walk inside of a church service and you think you're the only one. You're sitting there right now and you think you're the only one that's messed up. You think you're the only one that has gone through some tough things and done some bad things. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The ground at the foot of the cross is completely level. We're all sinners. That's bad news. Now I got to give you the worst news. The worst news is there's nothing you can do about it. You know, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. That, that means every one of us inside this room, unless Jesus comes back, we're going to walk through death's door. So the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. But now, since I've given you the worst news, let's turn the corner. I'm going to give you some good news. How many of you want to hear some good news this morning? We need some good news. The good news is God loves you. Now, I don't know what you've been through. I, I don't know how, how long you've been there. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, but God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us so much that he went to the cross for your sin and he went to the cross for my sin. If you want to think about something this afternoon, think about this fact. God loved you so much, he'd rather die than to live without you. You see, that's good news, but I'm going to give you one step further. I'm going to give you the greatest news. The greatest news is that Jesus can change your life right now. 
Because on the, they, they, when he died on the cross, they took his body off the cross and they placed it inside of a borrowed tomb and they put a big stone in front of it. Now listen, they didn't put the stone in front of it because they were, they, they, they were sit, sitting there going, he's gone, he's out of here. But on the third day, the stone was rolled away, not to let Jesus out. He, he's, he wasn't cramped up inside that tomb wondering if we were going to forget about him. The stone was rolled away so that you and I can go in and find that he who went in is no longer in. Ladies and gentlemen, he's out. He's there. If Jesus just died for us, I'd say that's a good man. But the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and if you confess with your mouth that God has raised him from the dead, listen, because the tomb is empty, there's hope for every person inside this room. And the Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love that word whosoever because it doesn't mean everyone but me. It means whosoever. That means you. It means right now. It means even on a Father's Day message. That's what Joshua is telling the people. He is rec- there is a recollection of the faith. Remember what God has done for you. But that recollection then comes into a declaration. In Joshua 24, 15, put the verse back up here. I want you to see how he puts it. He says, uh, but as for me and my house, well, you, you get it. But as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. I, I want you to see three parts of it. First of all, I, I want you to see that it's a personal declaration. He says, but as for me, he, he gets personal about it. Now, now understand, it is one thing to talk about Jesus, but when Jesus has changed your life, you can't help but talk about it. I mean, what Joshua has seen God do in his life, he is saying, but as for me, it is now becoming my personal declaration, what I'm going to do. And and you go, how do you do that? Go to point number one. Remember what God's done for your life. But then it becomes a positional declaration. He says, but as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. You got to understand in scripture, the, the father is the leader. Now he's not a dictator, but he is the leader. And Joshua is telling everyone, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And, and you, you're you men inside this room. We've got to set the tempo. We've got to set the pace. You've got to make it your own as a leader inside your house. And you could be sitting there going, you don't know my situation. Well, let me tell you about my situation. My wife, Tara, she, she knows God's word. Now, I mean, she knows chapter, verse. She knows which side of the page it's on inside of her. So trying to lead this family is not easy. But here's what I've understood. Leadership is not about knowledge. Leadership is about your position. And when God puts you in position, you're under his authority. So when you speak, you speak with authority. So as Joshua is saying, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Not only is it personal, not only is it his position, he's also making it public. You got to remember, he's got all of Israel around him. And he's trying to tell them, hey, you don't understand, but in my household, what we're going to do is we're going to serve the Lord, not only in our house, but when we come into the marketplace, when we come into culture, we're not going to leave Jesus behind us because here's what I fear that happens in most churches in America. We compartmentalize our Christianity. We live one life inside the church and then we walk out of our churches and live another life. Here's the equation. Compartmentalized Christianity will always lead to compromise Christianity. And what Joshua is saying, you don't understand, culture. If everyone else is coming out of the closet, we're coming out of the closet with the Lord. 
So you may be disagreeable. It may be a situation where when you stand up for your faith, it costs you something. But what Joshua is saying is that not only do you understand what God's done in our past and what he's going to do in the future, but because of that, it is now I'm making my declaration of what I'm doing in my own household. And then he gets to the point where it's a, it, the, 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 um, the recollection leads to the declaration that leads to the resolution. He says, choose you this day. He leaves it out before the people. You see, there's no neutrality with our God. Have you ever noticed that? Whenever you hear the gospel, you're either brought closer to him or driven further away. There's no neutrality with God. I've never seen anybody, when they, when they hit their, their thumb with a hammer, yell out, oh, Buddha, okay? It, it is not anything like that. Why? Because there's no neutrality with our God. There is something about the name of Jesus that it either brings you closer to him or drives, him further, drive, drives you further away. And Joshua says, choose you this day. If you're going to serve the, the, the idols of those across the river or those that are, are now the Canaanites, you see, we treat sin like it's something new nowadays. There's nothing new under the sun. Ladies and gentlemen, listen. I know it's more blatant and it's more deviant, but sin is sin in the eyes of a holy God. And so we've always had this problem. But we got to come out in the culture and say, we've got, we, got the honor, we got the opportunity for you. So if you're in this room and you're going, I'm just going to choose not to decide. No, even when you were speaking up here about uh, Elijah, Mount Carmel, Hunter, I couldn't help but when I turned over, I read verse 21. And you know what Elijah says? Before fire comes down from heaven, he says, hey, how long are you going to be in this seesaw? If Baal is God, serve him. If God's God, you serve him. You see, there's no neutrality. So you may be here this morning and you're going, well, I'm just coming because it's Father's Day and I had to, or I'm coming today because of tradition. I want you to understand that in the Old Testament, when God's people gathered, they expected God to speak. Did you come this morning expecting God to speak? I'll go one step further. When God's people gathered, not only did they expect God to speak, they already had their response. Because if you notice, as Joshua is bringing this home in the next verse, it says, be far from us. They've already made their decision. We're going to serve the Lord. And what Joshua is doing is saying, come into covenant with this God. Come into the point where you're willing to take it back. In fact, don't turn there, but in Joshua 24, 15, uh, 25, it says, so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day. He made a statute and an ordinance at Shechem. It was that moment where they drew a line in the sand. We're serving the Lord. I'm just asking you this morning, were you expecting God to speak? Or are you, and are you anticipating your response? Because there's a decision that has to be made. There's a story told by a preacher about uh, two college students. And they were always trying to catch their professor. They were always trying to catch him off guard and try to trip him up. But he was such a wise man, they couldn't do it. So finally, one of them had an idea. That he, he devised a plan that he would go out and catch a baby bird. And he would put that baby bird in his fist and he'd bring it before the professor and he'd give the professor an, a one question. He would say, is this bird dead or alive? And if the professor said the bird's dead, he would open up his fist and the bird would fly away. But if the professor said the bird was alive, then what he would do is just simply squeeze the bird, take the oxygen out from its lungs, and he would open up his hand and it would be a dead bird. Foolproof. He brought the, the, he and his friend came before the professor, bird in hand, 
And he asked him the question, Professor, you're so smart. I hold in my hand a bird. Is it dead or is it alive? This professor was so sharp. He just kind of sat there, stared at the young man, stared at the hand. And he said, you asked me the question, is the bird dead or alive? He said, young man, the question is in your hand. And he walked away. It's your decision. And that's when the gospel is preached every single time. It's when you're brought into a moment like this where maybe you're here and you're going, man, you, you don't understand. We used to be on track. Now we're, now we're off track. What I love is God's always about realignment. And you could be out of Tara's car. We just got it back. Looks great. We, we, we had a wreck, and so we had to take it in and get it fixed. We got it. Looks, looks better than when we took it in. Problem is, it was still out of alignment. Looked good on the outside, but it needed realignment. Maybe God's brought you here this morning for a a realignment. Maybe it's for your household of faith. I'm just going to ask if you would, if we all do this, and and because I'm not a member, uh, a pastor here, I think I can say this just being a member, so hear my heart, there is no condemnation here, but I think as we're preaching about revival, and you know Mac's heart, you know he's begging for it, maybe if during the time of invitation, we'd see more people anticipating coming this way than getting all their items ready to go that way, maybe that's when revival's going to show up. Did you expect God to speak? Are you anticipating your response? Would you bow your heads with me? Heads are bowed. I'm just going to ask in just a few moments. We're just going to have a time of invitation. And if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, I'm just going to tell you in just a few moments, there's a great opportunity for you to come. There's going to be some pastors here at the front, Pastor Barry, the other members of our staff. And if you're sitting there going, I just don't know how to make this real in my life. It's not by screaming the top of your lungs. It's by one word, surrender. Romans 10, 13, we've already shared it. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word call means to stretch forth. Be like if you were in a body of water and you were struggling. You were about to go under the last time. And right before you went under, someone threw you a life preserver. Well, you know what you're going to do. You're going to grab the life preserver because you need to be saved. Now, somebody could say, well, wait a minute. That means I saved myself. No, i got to remind you, you're drowning. You can't save yourself. You have to trust the life preserver. Here's the illustration. I'm not the life preserver. Valleydale is not the life preserver. God just uses tools like this, throw the life preserver your way. We're talking about Jesus. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You'll say, Scott, how, how can I do that? How can I surrender? I don't know a better way than by a prayer. And that prayer is not screaming on top of your lungs. You can pray that prayer right there in your heart. It's not by just reciting words. It's about you having a relationship with this living God. This God who loved you so much and all he did, he died on the cross for you, but he resurrected on the third day. So right there where you're sitting, as I pray this prayer out loud, I'm just going to invite you to pray this prayer inside your heart. It goes like this. Dear God, I know I've done some things wrong, but I know you love me. To the point you sent your son to die on the cross for me. So right now, the best way I know how, I receive you into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Make me brand new. I know you love me. Help me to love you. Thank you, God. With heads are bowed and eyes are closed, he is a good, good father. 
And this morning, wherever you are across this room, if you just prayed that prayer, no one can ever take Jesus away from you. He's not a God that's going to play games in your life. He's a God that wants to plant roots in your life. So in just a few moments when we stand, I'm going to invite you to step out. You're saying you're adding something to it. No, I'm not adding anything to it, but here's what I do want to tell you. Jesus is the author and finisher of our salvation. Here's what Jesus says. He says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. Here's the only thing I'm going to say to you. If this relationship with Christ, this new beginning with him, if it's not worth you stepping out, coming, walking maybe 30 steps to grab a hand for somebody to pray with you, to rejoice with you, and to help you, if you're not willing to tell people in this room you're a follower of Jesus, do you really think you're going to be able to go out of these doors and live for Jesus? I just don't want you to walk out of here with a half-truth. You may be the only one that comes. I'd rather that be your mentality than for you to wait on everyone else. Jesus never once says, follow my followers. Jesus says, follow me. This morning, follow Jesus. We're going to pray and then we're going to stand. Others may be here this morning going, I know Jesus, but there's some issues going on in my family. There's some things going on in my life. The altar's going to be open. There's going to be some men, women around who would just love to pray with you, talk with you, make sure you know what's going on inside your life. When I think of solitaire, I think of a game that I simply cannot win or prison. I never think about the Christian life. Bear each other's burdens. This morning, come to Jesus. Someone's going to talk with you. The masks are already gone. Let's be real this morning. Father, we thank you for what you're doing across this room. We pray for those who just prayed to receive you. Give them boldness and guts like they've never known before. Father, we pray for those of us inside this room who may just need a realignment in our lives. Bless this invitation like only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand again. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.